you have your Bible, you can open up to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 is where we are headed today uh, as we continue looking through uh, these different passages from the Gospel of Mark together. You know, it's hard to believe that it was almost a year ago whenever Corrine and Lindsay got up in our midst to share with us the things that they knew about this new thing called the coronavirus uh, and what kinds of precautions we ought to be taking. You know, they sort of shared some of their nurse knowledge with us. And one of the things they did when they got up was demonstrate what real thorough hand washing is like. So, so they actually modeled this uh, through the motions and, and the length that you should do it. Uh, they, they sang happy birthday twice, right? Do you, you guys remember that? Were you here that day, potentially? A um, couple, couple of you remember that. You know, thinking back on, on a memory like that simultaneously feels like an eternity ago and like it could have been last week. It's, it's just crazy this whole year that how time is, has been all over the place. But you know, since then, this sort of hand-washing, happy birthday demonstration, we've learned a lot about keeping hands clean, right? You know, I mean, whether it's methods for thorough hand washing or, you know, learning how to do elbow bumps instead of handshaking uh, or the presence of hand sanitizer around every corner, right? We have it in this building. It's at the store. It's all over the place. Maybe you have some that you carry around with you or keep in your car. We've learned a lot over this past year about keeping our hands clean. We've become a lot more aware of our hands. But I I think something else might have also been happening uh, over this past year. Because while we've become more aware of our hands, I think that many of us may have become a little bit less aware of our hearts. I, I was recently having a conversation about this experience, just sort of feeling less connected to people and and less connected to my own self. Um, I was talking about this with someone the other day, and and they responded that, that, man, they felt just like that. They felt the same way. And they went on to share something that was very insightful. They asked me, do you think that perhaps that, that disconnection is related to the aspect of question asking? And, and the clarity of good questions. I was like, all right, what, what, what do you mean? They said, I know for me, I discover so much about myself and my experience in the world through conversation with other people. And not being able to have good opportunities for meaningful conversations has left me feeling stagnant because I don't have anyone asking me those good questions. They asked, does that resonate with you? And I was like, yeah, it does. Got to be honest that I I, I feel that sort of disconnected from myself because I'm not really as connected with others. Do any of you maybe feel a little bit like that over this past year? Yeah. You know, we learn about ourselves as we interact with other people. That's what it means to be human. We awake our hearts as we engage in relationship with others. But, you know, the reality of this past year has turned our attention to washing our hands, 
instead of keeping watch over our hearts. And this is precisely what we're going to see unfold in the passage that we read today. And Jesus seizes the opportunity to redirect attention to the heart. And so let's read this together. Mark chapter 7, we'll begin in verse 1. Now, when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, bronze kettles. So the, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. As it's written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. And then he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father or mother, whatever support you might have had from me is korban, that is, an offering to God, then you no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on. And you do many things like this. And then Jesus called to the crowd again, and he said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, Then do you also fail to understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart, but the stomach, and goes out into the sewer? And thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, It is what comes out of a person that defiles, for it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank you for the gift of your word. 
and for the way that you call us to attention to our hearts, and the way that you care for and tend to our hearts. God, I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture today, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So throughout this series, as we've been uh, exploring this idea of clean and unclean, right? We've been looking at this idea of the clean and the unclean. From the very beginning, we've said that this whole idea about clean and unclean is built around the idea of maintaining boundaries. Maintaining boundaries and keeping whatever is unclean outside of that boundary. It's what we've been talking about. And yet, throughout this series, over and over again, Jesus keeps disrupting this idea. He keeps disrupting this idea of clean and unclean, this idea about boundaries, right? We saw several weeks ago uh, the boundary at his baptism. We saw the boundary between heaven and earth torn apart as God spoke from the heavens. And then we, whenever Jesus was approached by the leprous man, he broke the boundary of clean and unclean by reaching out to the man and touching him to cleanse him right? And then in the region of the Gerasenes, Jesus broke the boundary of clean and unclean again, but also the boundary of Jew and Gentile, because he enters Gentile territory in the Decapolis, and he cleanses this man of his unclean spirit. And then last week, we saw in Jesus' interaction with Jairus, his daughter, and the bleeding woman, Once more, Jesus broke the barrier of clean and unclean and this boundary even between men and women as he brings healing and dignity to the woman who had been made unclean for so long. You see, all throughout, Jesus has been disrupting this idea of clean and unclean. And he does it once again in this passage that we've just read today. He confronts the Pharisees, Um, but, but in addition to disrupting their idea of clean and unclean, what we see in this passage is that he begins to also define God's idea of clean and unclean. You know, so they're obsessing about hands, but Jesus is pointing to the heart. This is what Jesus is doing here. So so I want to consider each one of these today as we kind of look back through the passage. What is their obsession with hands? And what does that have to do with us today? And what is Jesus saying about the heart? And how can we start to live that out today? And so let's start with, with all this idea of hands, right? The whole thing starts with a focus on the hands. Jesus' disciples sit down to eat a meal. And they didn't do this proper ritual washing of hands. Uh, And so the Pharisees noticed this and and immediately pointed out and start asking questions. Now, I love verses 3 and 4 in our passage, which, which appear in parentheses. 
in most translations. Uh, these verses are kind of an aside that Mark makes. It's this comment that he makes to, to explain a little bit more about what's going on behind the scenes, to, to describe to his audience as he's telling the story. And verses 3 and 4, as he's kind of stepping aside and describing what's going on, are just dripping with sarcasm. That's the tone that, that he's sharing this with. Um, first, he explains, all right, so they don't eat anything unless they, they thoroughly have washed their hands. Right? And he calls this the tradition of the elders. And then he goes on to elaborate about how they don't eat anything from the market unless it has been thoroughly washed. And there's all these other traditions as well that they keep, right? That they wash their cups and their pots and their bronze kettles, right? He's going on and on. The point he's making is that all these traditions are excessive. And not only that, they're, they're complicated, there's all this stuff that's going on, all these different washings that they're keeping track of. And, and, and these traditions really were very excessive and, and very complicated. There, there's one Bible scholar who commented about this, and he says this tradition of the elders that Mark is referring to here, that, that they're talking about here, is, is this oral tradition that's made up of all kinds of little tiny details. You know, the, the, the tradition of the elders would distinguish between first-grade uncleanness and then a sort of a second-grade uncleanness. There are all these different levels to uncleanness, and depending on what level you were on, there was a different kind of ritual washing that you needed to do. You know, all these different kinds of things, depending on how unclean you are. And so, so far throughout the series, we've mentioned Leviticus as this really great companion book to the Gospel of Mark to give us a good backdrop to what's going on with this idea of clean and unclean. But here, uh, with this ritual washing of the hands and tradition of the elders, uh, we have left the realm of Levitical law. And we've entered this realm of completely made-up rules. This is what's going on in their day. It's, it's not anything that's in the law. It's not anything from Leviticus or, or the Old Testament. This is stuff that the Pharisees have kind of just made up and are following. Now, now I want to say something about this, because made-up rules are actually not all bad. They're not all evil, right? Sometimes they can be helpful. Sometimes they can even be good. And I'm sure the Pharisees had the best of intentions with these different rules. I mean, you know, the law does talk about cleanliness, talks about ritual washings from time to time. And so, I'm sure out of an abundance of caution, they put up a few more barriers to just ensure that they didn't wander away from obedience to the law. The problem is, is whenever made-up rules no longer serve the purpose of God. And, and at best, maybe begin distracting from God, or at worst, directly contradict God. And this is what has begun to happen with the Pharisees. You know, while what may have originally been established with the best of intentions has led to contradicting the purpose and the will of God. 
And so the Pharisees ask about this whole hand-washing thing. Hey, why, why aren't you guys doing that? And Jesus takes this opportunity to call them out. All right, his words are sharp. As he begins to respond to them in verse 6, he says, You know, Isaiah was right about you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know, in vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. And then his rebuke is even sharper in verse 9. He says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. Now, maybe all of this stuff about hand-washing doesn't actually seem like that big of a deal. Why is Jesus freaking out about all this, right? So Jesus offers them another example of just what it is that, that they have done in distorting the law of God. He points to their tradition of korban. Korban. Now, the idea of korban does have its origins in Leviticus. All right? There were occasions uh, to set aside a special sacrifice or a special offering dedicated to God. Right? This is what Mark explains about it. Again, another sort of parenthesis to, to describe in verse 11, an offering to God. But the Pharisees had taken this idea of setting aside a special offering to God and used it to their own advantage. So this is what they would do. Instead of using their resources to support their parents as the law commands, they would simply say, Oh, I, I'm so sorry. I, I can't do that. I can't give you that. I can't help you with that. Because it's korban. It's, it's dedicated to God. Right? That, that was their excuse. And so instead of serving God with their resources, they end up using God to make their resources serve them. And Jesus explains this in, in verse 12 and 13. He goes on to say, You no longer permit doing anything for a father or mother, thus making void the word of God through your tradition that you have handed on. And you do many things like this. Now at this point, their traditions are not only a distraction from the word of God, they're in direct contradiction with it. Jesus exposes their tradition not only as extra-lawful, but as unlawful, contrary to God's purpose and God's will. They're using God in order to serve themselves. And so from here, Jesus moves from exposing the harm of human tradition to expounding the heart of God. We see this in verse 14. Jesus, Jesus turns from this direct conversation with the Pharisees to the larger crowd. He says, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. But the things that come out are what defile. He begins describing this is God's heart about what is clean and unclean. 
Now, later on, his disciples didn't quite understand what he meant when he said that, so they, they asked for clarification. And Jesus reiterates in verse 20, it is what comes out of a person that defiles, for it's from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. You see, here, Jesus moves the attention from the hands to the heart. This is what God is all about. This is what God has always been about. And this is important. This is an important distinction. You see, Jesus is not throwing out the law. He's not disregarding what God had said. Rather, Jesus is, is sort of throwing out these made-up rules. And he's showing us what the purpose of the law was. This is why the law was here to begin with. He's telling us what God meant when he said it. It's always been about the heart. It's always been about the heart. Now, on the one hand, this, there can be a great sigh of relief. Oh, great. We don't have to keep up with all these levels of uncleanness. We don't have to do all these ritual washings of hands. This is great. Man, what a, what a load off my shoulders. But on the other hand, the matters of the heart are not easy, are they? I mean, after all, there's a reason why people keep making up rules. It's a lot easier to control your hands than it is to keep track of your heart. It's a lot easier to wash our hands than it is to keep watch over our heart. And yet, over and over again, Jesus points back to the heart. Jesus points back to the heart. He does that here in our passage. He, he did that on the Sermon on the Mount. You might remember, you know, he says, you've heard that it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, don't hate. You've heard that it was said not to commit adultery. But I tell you, don't lust. You see, Jesus is concerned not with the hands, but with the heart. Jesus does this again when he explains the greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbor, right? And these two are linked to one another. They're inseparable from one another. That's why the tradition of Korban was all wrong, right? They were using God as an excuse to ignore their parents and their neighbors. Jesus says we can't love God without loving our neighbors. It all has to do with the heart. And this was the purpose of the law from the very beginning. Not to trap us in religious ritual, but to transform us through real relationship. God's desire is to transform the hearts of his people and through them transform the world. This is God's desire for his people and for the world. It's always been about the heart. And so what does this look like for us, 
right? What does this look like today? Well, I, I want to share a couple things uh, with you. Uh, the first is a psychological study of the hands, and the second is a very deep truth about the heart. All right, so, so first, this sort of study about the hands. You know, we've, we've had the book of Leviticus as kind of a, a, a reading partner with us along the way through Mark. But another book that I've mentioned a number of times is this little book by Richard Beck, a psychologist down in Abilene Christian University, uh, that he wrote called Unclean. And he looks at the psychology of disgust and cleanliness and purity and, and all these things and, and how they sort of influence our spiritual and, and, and moral lives. And in this book, he describes a study that has everything to do with the passage that we've just read. It's the study that describes something that's called the Macbeth effect. Any literature people out there who, who know the story of Macbeth, um, you know, you've got, towards the beginning of it, they're sort of scheming about, man, how can we get the throne and, and, and all of this stuff, and they end up murdering Macbeth and his wife, murder this guy, and, and from there, they come out and their hands are bloody, right? And they start to feel kind of guilty about it, not sure about it. And, and what does, Macbeth is lamenting. He's saying, oh, you know, a whole ocean couldn't wash this blood from my hands. My hands would turn the ocean red. And then Lady Macbeth says, come on, just wash your hands of it, right? And she, she just says, wash your hands. It's going to be fine. This will get the blood off and it'll be like nothing ever happened. And then we can be in charge, right? That's, that's the hope here. In this study, looks at the connection between uh, guilt and hand-washing. And it's really fascinating. So, so here's what they did. They brought in a couple of groups of people, and uh, there's a control group that they would just do a basic interview with and then um, send them off with a few questions. Um, and so uh, one of the things that they did was after this basic interview, they would then give them a little sort of fill-in-the-blank thing. Uh, hey, you know, S... Uh, here's, here's a word, S-O blank P, fill in the blank. And, you know, that could be the word soup. That could be the word soap, or maybe some other things. You know, those are a couple possibilities. And so people would fill it in and turn it into a word. And so that was one, one thing that they would do after their basic interview. And then another thing they did is they had a little table of, of things for them to take. And there were some pencils on there and also some hand wipes. And you could pick one or the other and then go, go about your way. That was one group. Another group they brought in, and it was very similar, but it wasn't just a basic interview. They had a, some very pointed questions, or they asked them, hey, tell us about some past failures that you've experienced, some, some things you've done wrong. You know, and so they, they begin to talk about these things, and the, the participants feel a little bit guilty, and they, they don't feel too good. And so then, you know, after this conversation, they get to the fill-in-the-blank portion. And it is much more likely for folks who are feeling a little guilty to turn that word into soap instead of soup. Because they need cleansing, right? They feel guilty. They want to wash their hands of this. And then very literally, as they walk out past that little gift table, they are much more likely to grab the hand wipe than they are to grab the pencil, right? This is fascinating, right? Because the experience of guilt actually leads people to wanting to wash their hands. They're thinking about soap, not soup, 
They're, they're, they, I, I need a hand wipe, not a pencil. Now, they did another thing. They followed up with, with this group and, and, and did a similar thing. So once more, uh, a kind of regular group, basic interview, and another group where they talked about some past failures, uh, some, some possible guilty experiences. And one of those groups, uh, they did not offer them a hand wipe. They just said, you know, all right, you can go. And, and they, they asked them a question also afterwards. Hey, we're wondering if you guys could help us with something. I know you're participating in this study and we're paying you for that. And that's great. But we could really use your help. There's a grad student who needs some, some extra research. Would you be willing to, to help out and, and answer some of their survey as well? Um, and so they asked the, the people that. And, and they did it again with, with two different groups. Uh, the other group, they gave them a hand wipe, let them wash their hands after the conversation, and then asked them the same question, hey, thanks for your time on this. Would you be willing to help this, this you know, grad student? They're, they really need your help. Would you be willing to give them some time? And the really interesting thing emerged. What happened was, you know, both, both groups this time are talking about guilt, so they're both feeling a little guilty. But the folks who had washed their hands with a wipe after that conversation were much less likely to be willing to help the grad student out than the ones who had not washed their hands. So, so here's some of these connecting of the dots. Okay, here's, here's what we learn. Not only is there a correlation between a sense of guilt and a desire for cleansing, there's also a correlation between a sense of purity and a willingness to serve. Guilty people, or people who feel guilty, are much more likely to want cleansing than non-feeling guilty people. People who feel like they're pure, however, are a lot less likely to be willing to serve others than those who do not feel pure. And this is what's going on in this story. The Pharisees have washed their hands. They feel great about themselves. And so they are not as willing to serve. They are much more willing to judge others. You see, religious acts can be a sign of devotion and deepness to God, but it could also very easily just be a, an act to try to appease our sense of guilt. And once we've gotten our need met, once we don't feel guilty, once we feel pure, we can just sort of run along. Hey, things are good with me. I don't need to worry about anyone else. Look, there's nothing wrong with rules and rituals in and of themselves necessarily. There's nothing wrong with washing our hands. In fact, it's a good idea. But the question that we need to ask as we engage with traditions and rituals, hand-washing, the question we need to ask is, who are we becoming as we engage in these things? Are we becoming people who just feel pure about ourselves and don't want to deal with whatever needs there are out there? Or are we becoming people who, because we have been cleansed, are all the more willing to serve and help and run, bring that cleansing and grace to others? Who are we becoming as we engage in these different practices, right? 
Coming to church isn't just about not feeling guilty. I think for, for many people it might be. But that's not the point of following Jesus. The point of following Jesus is to be transformed. To have our hearts transformed so that when we leave this place, when we, when we finish this time, we can go and bring that transformation everywhere else we go. Who are we becoming as we engage in traditions, rituals, prayer? Are we willing to serve? So that's, that's this, this psychological study of the hands. And I think it, it asks us a really important question. There's also a, another thing that I want to share uh, as we consider this passage together, and that's this really deep truth about the heart. Some of you may be familiar with this. I'm going to read a quote from C.S. Lewis. It's piercing. He says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. And if you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one. Not even an animal. Wrap it up carefully, round with hobbies, little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. In fact, it, it will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. Because to love is to be vulnerable. You see, this brings us back to where we started today. Our hearts are awakened in relationship. Our hearts are brought to the front through vulnerability with each other. As we look at the passage, Jesus has said that what comes from the heart reveals cleanness or uncleanness. The only way to know what comes from the heart is for something to come from the heart. If we shut up our hearts and lock it away, well, there's no telling what's in it. So we have to be vulnerable. We have to bring our heart to the surface in relationship with God and relationship with others. We can't, you know, I think a lot of rituals have historically just acted as kind of that little casket. Keeps you safe, keeps you clean, keeps you comfortable. This is not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to have our hearts transformed, redeemed, changed. And so prayer and community are practices that we can engage that actually help to reveal our hearts. Conversation with God, conversation with others. Relationship with God, relationship with others. I want to ask, well, what are those places in your life where there are opportunities to truly be vulnerable? To truly bring your heart to the surface and engage with others. 
I want to challenge us this week into some of this vulnerability. Into some of this this vulnerability, this, this opportunity for transformation. Here's just a really practical couple of challenges. Uh, the first one is, is prayer. It's so simple. Talk about it all the time. But really, what does it look like to bring our hearts to God in prayer? And it could just be 10 minutes a day. Sit with God. Maybe it's speaking and maybe it's writing something down. Maybe it's just silence and attention toward God. But I want to challenge you to try this out this week. Let your heart emerge. Prayer. But there's another challenge that I I want to invite you into this week, and that is deep conversation. Who can you have not just a passing conversation with, not just small talk, but who might you be able to have a, a really deep conversation with? this week. The kind of conversation where you lose track of time somewhere in the middle of it. Where you really get to matters of the heart. I want to challenge you to try to do that this week. Find someone to engage on a deep level. This is how our hearts are transformed. We're not meant to keep them locked up, safe. We're meant to take risks, be vulnerable, trusting that this gospel thing really is true. That the world really can be transformed if we only engage it with the love of Christ. So this week, yes, let's, let's keep washing our hands, using hand sanitizer, all of that stuff. But more than that, may God cleanse and transform our hearts and free us from whatever rigid traditions we're stuck in so that we might truly see and love all who are around us. May it be so. Amen.